On Saturday, the University of Oklahoma participated in their annual spring game. An estimated crowd of about 50,000 fans turned out to take part in the day's activities, which included a Bob Stoop statue dedication, a Trace Adkins concert, and of course the actual scrimmage, which lasted all of one half and two possessions of overtime. Yes, yes, before we get into anything else, I said they would get to 80,000 in attendance. I was dead wrong, laughably wrong. I'll own that one, but let's move on. Unfortunately for the fans in attendance, the game didn't quite live up to the hype. A consistent wind of around 30 miles per hour effectively neutered both offenses, turning a typically vanilla game even more vanilla. There were also lots of familiar names out with injuries. Kenneth Murray, Caleb Kelly are some of the many starters, it seems like, that did not play. And after an early injury scare by Trey Sermon, it seemed like the guys understandably played at about 75% speed for the remainder of the game, which typically pretty hard to gauge any sort of effectiveness when they're moving at that speed. That's not to say there wasn't anything to take from the game. Lee and I will have our detailed thoughts coming up later in the pod, but I'm not going to bury the lead anymore. The game, the game was, a dis- was a disappointment kind of like it always is, but that's okay. The real story of the weekend is how OU is turning into a recruiting powerhouse under Lincoln Riley. Last year, when the NCAA announced it was going to allow official visitors into the spring, or, or official visitors in the spring, sorry, Lincoln Riley had decided to use the spring game as a catalyst for recruiting momentum. There were some who were skeptical of this idea at first. I mean, you never know. It's the spring and the fall. Someone could change their mind pretty quickly once they're around big atmospheres and stuff like that. But really, his after this weekend, it's kind of hard to argue now. The Sooners received seven commitments this weekend, including pledges from two of the top six ranked players in the country. If you're keeping track, those are their two highest rated recruits that they've gotten since they signed Gerald McCoy back in 2006. That's, that's crazy. They, they got both of those guys in one day. They also got a crucial defensive line grad transfer who started all 13 games in the 3-4 last season for Notre Dame. That's huge. We'll have thoughts on that later. I've said since day one of this podcast that if there's one thing Lincoln Riley needs to figure out, it's how to maximize the program's recruitment of elite-level players. Listen, I love Bob Stoops, but in his, in his last six seasons in Norman, he only signed one top-ten class, and that was his last one in 2016, and Lincoln Riley was the one who ended up coaching those guys. Nick Saban gets lots of credit for being an evil genius with X's and O's, but truthfully, There's lots of coaches who would have won multiple titles with the players that he brings into his program. We can talk all day about schemes and defensive coordinators, but the quickest way to compete with the Alabamas and the Clemsons of the world is to recruit guys who belong on the same field with them. After this weekend, OU currently has the number one class in the country per rivals. Now, there's a long way to go for sure, but the Sooners are still in on some of the best players in the country. If this recruiting weekend is any indication of the direction the program is headed, OU fans may start getting used to that little number one next to the name Oklahoma. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Moore going deep. DJ Mills has got his bad feet. Hudson will try to prevent the touchdown. Here's a big play for Oklahoma. Touchdown, DJ Mills. Today's intro, former OU wide receiver P.J. Mills scores a touchdown on one of the longest plays from scrimmage in Sooner history. 
Mills goes 90 yards on a deep post thrown beautifully by Southpaw Ryan Moore. Mills would outrun the Iowa State secondary the rest of the way for the touchdown back on October the 7th, 1995. Oklahoma would go on to beat the Cyclones 39-26. to The Sooners would finish the final season of the Big 8 with a average 5-5 five and five record. Also, that was Howard Schnellenberger's lone year in Norman. Hello, everyone. Welcome into another edition of West of Everest. I'm Lee Benson. You heard Grant's opening take at the top. He'll rejoin us shortly. Norman caught spring game fever this past weekend. I've got a million notes on the actual scrimmage. One really big thing caught my eye in regards to the offensive line. So one big thing caught my eye. We'll see if Grant saw that as well. We'll talk all about this past weekend at Oklahoma. Plus, we'll also unveil our newest segment, the Hot Take of the Week. We'll get to that in a moment. But first, it's your weekly reminder that we are on Facebook. If you're also on Facebook as well, just go ahead and locate the West of Everest podcast page and give us a like. You may have even watched Grant's opening take live today as he was giving his thoughts on the Oklahoma spring game and the recruiting weekend and everything that happened. Of course, we'll have a lot more coming up. So thanks for watching. If you did not see it live, you can watch the video back because everything gets archived and put on that page. So you can watch that back at your own convenience. Also, if you're listening to the show on iTunes, feel free to give the show a rating and or a review. Also, as you all know, you can email the show if you're into emailing us. The email address, westofeverest at gmail.com. That is westofeverest at gmail.com. And finally, if you're on Twitter, I am at Lee Benson News 9. Grant is at Grant Benson 25. So that's all the ways you can contact us, follow us, give us your thoughts on Oklahoma football and Oklahoma in general, and, and just kind of see what Grant and I are saying throughout the year. All right, so now as I bring Grant back into the fold, I'll set him up with a question. And, and by the way, uh, P.J. Mills ward number four while he played at Oklahoma, and this is the fourth month of the year. That's how we've been doing the intros since the Oklahoma season ended, so just FYI there if you didn't catch that. Now, when Oklahoma played Kansas that season in Norman back in 1995, I was at the game, yours truly. I was there in the stands. It was actually my very first exposure ever to the game of football, and I remember the Sooners lost that game to Kansas, which sounds incredibly embarrassing based on what we all know about Kansas today. But Grant, did you know that when uh, when KU beat the Sooners back in 95, the Jayhawks were, were a top 10 football team? I mean, what would, that would have been about about 13 years before Mark Mangino took them to the Orange Bowl and won the Orange Bowl. So, I mean, that... That Jayhawks team, I mean, they, they were way ahead of their time, huh? And no, to answer your question, I did not know that. I, 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 I honestly thought that, that that Mark Mangino 2007 KU team was likely the best KU team in the history of their program. I think it, it was, technically, because they went 12-1 and one in the, when they won the Orange Bowl that year with Todd Reesing. Because I was curious, uh, this Kansas team in 95 went 10-2. and two. And you're never going to believe who was the coach at Kansas. In 95 actually you might believe it maybe you remember i don't or kind of know but uh i don't know was it got, what was it roy williams was he pulling double duty <laughs> uh no uh, this coach has ties to minnesota uh glenn mason i had i you know what i i would have i would have wrongly assumed that glenn mason already would have been at minnesota in 1995 that's really interesting i had no clue so glenn mason in 95 was coaching kansas and 
get this. He was at Kansas from 1988 to 1996. And so after the 96 season is when he went to Minnesota and he was well, there for 10 seasons. Well, well, now that now that you say that they were a top 10 team and that Glenn Mason was their coach, it's actually not as not as hard to believe. Glenn Mason, one of the more underrated coaches throughout college football history, he was kind of run out of town here in in Minnesota for for some reason. They got they got a little too tired of going 9 and 3 every single year in Minnesota here, so they ran him out of town. Yeah, it's been just uh it's been awful for Minnesota Golden Gopher football for the most part since. And that maybe not awful, but just basically average. I mean, that's kind of what they've been. There's there's been a lot of yeah, there, there's been a lot of really bad and a lot of a lot of average and a little bit of slightly above average. All right. So, let's get to this past weekend. Grant, you mentioned Oklahoma got seven commits over the weekend. Uh, listening to the radio as I was driving to Norman Saturday morning for the Bob Stoop statue dedication, which was at 10 a.m. on Saturday. Uh, those on the sports animal here in Oklahoma City, and I apologize to those who were on. I don't remember who it was. Uh, they were talking about how this could be the biggest spring game weekend ever for Oklahoma. Now, it certainly seems like this was a successful weekend as far as recruiting goes, and you throw in all the events from Saturday. And you know what? Sure, why not? Let's call this Oklahoma's biggest spring game ever. What do you think, Grant? Well, yeah, I mean, I, why not? Sure. And and the reason why it was the biggest one ever was because of the recruiting, like I alluded to in, in the opening take. But also, I mean, it was it was clearly the spring game that at least in in my short time on this earth that they have they have certainly advertised the most. They wanted to get a lot of people there. Lee, to my untrained eye, it, it, the attendance honestly didn't seem much different than how it is every single year. What, what do you think? It. uh I think that's fair to say. So I'm horrible at guessing numbers of people. Uh, when I saw the number about 52,000 plus, I was pretty shocked. Uh, basically, look, think of it this way. So both sides of the field, the regular like lower level and up for both sides was basically full. But as far as in the end zones and in the upper deck, it was basically nothing. So we think of it as a high school football game where you got two sides of stands and both stands are completely packed and then that's kind of it and there's really nowhere else for people to go and stand. That's kind of how it felt at the spring game because the end zones were open and now that the entire stadium's enclosed, it certainly seems like there's more seats. And listening to uh, Barry Trammell at the Oklahoman, who is a you know, big-time writer here and a really nice guy, uh, I've speak to Barry every once in a while and and I remember hearing about him a lot before I got a job in Oklahoma City and now I work in the media here and I've actually met Barry and he's again a really nice guy hearing him on the radio uh, on Monday talking about the game with uh, Jim Traber Al and Al Ashbeck they're always on in the afternoon those who are in Oklahoma City know what I'm talking about Jim uh, not Jim uh, Barry said that he would have guessed that there wasn't 50 plus thousand people there he said he would have guessed there was more like 30 or 35 thousand people there and so I I this would certainly uh, trust his judgment considering he's been to a lot of Oklahoma spring games over the years I would imagine so uh, maybe the tickets were sold for 50,000 plus but man the weather was brutal and we can get into the weather here in a moment but um, yeah I, I so what you were seeing on TV, uh, it, it certainly didn't look, look like there was actually more than that on the field. So uh, how about those recruits, though? Do you want, do you want to talk about the big-time recruits? Because to me, the one, main ones, obviously, that stand out are the two five-star wide receivers. Um, and then uh, also a guy that you didn't mention, Jamal Morris, a four-star safety, which is always good to get a, a, another 
decently touted, highly touted, if you will, secondary player. Where do you want to start? For surely. You know, I mean, in my opening take, I didn't want to just list off the seven guys who committed. So which is why I, I just I just stuck with, like you said, the, the two five stars. And so the two five stars we're mentioning are the the number three and number six players in the country per rivals. They are both wide receivers from the state of Texas. They are both uh, past commits and decommits for Oklahoma in this 2019 class. They are recommitting here. They are fellow five stars. Theo Weiss from Allen, Texas. That is the big, uh, that's that's the huge high school program. I think that's, that's a program that Kyler Murray played at in high school as well. Um, and then RJ Henderson from Richmond, Texas, which I believe is, is more in the Houston area. So Theo Weiss is the number three player in the country per rivals. RJ Henderson, the number six player in the country per rivals. Uh, these guys are, I mean, these guys are just dogs. I mean, they're, it, you can go look at their tape on YouTube. I mean, you, you can see where it comes from. They're studs. They're absolute studs. Um, so, uh, obviously, I mean, it's a good get. I, I know we weren't, you know, Oklahoma wasn't really hurting for, for offensive weapons. It seems like they have plenty of those, but you're never going to turn away two five-star receivers who want to commit. I haven't seen R.J. Henderson's tape yet. I've watched a little bit of Theo Weiss, and he looks... He looks very good. Uh, a lot of his tape is him just kind of sprinting away from the secondary and, and being wide open or making really athletic, contested catches in the end zone. 6'3", 205, he's listed at. Uh, you can see the talent uh, on, on the field in his, in his high school tape. Again, have not seen R.J. Henderson. And I was texting you the other day. I, I'm with you. It, it, it's exciting to get five stars no matter what. It, it's just, like you said, Oklahoma's off, offense is so good. Uh, when you get a five-star receiver and two of them, you're happy about it, but you really hope that maybe some of these five-star defensive players can see this and think, okay, they're getting some big-time guys on offense. Let's also let's be part of this this whole thing at Oklahoma. Let's also go there and, and be a part of a, a revamped, hopefully improving defense because I want to see those guys on defense, obviously. That's why it was so nice to hear the news about the grad transfer that – Oklahoma is going to get from uh, from Notre Dame that you had mentioned Jay Hayes now he's not a high school guy but coming out of high school he was a four-star defensive tackle in, in high school now he's a defensive end so uh, that's massive to get a guy with experience and also a player who was pretty highly touted on the defensive line coming out of high school yeah Lee that's why I mentioned Jay Hayes in the opening take I thought that was just a massive get for them this weekend one that kind of went a little under the radar just because he he is just going to be a one-and-done guy a senior but a guy who's got a lot of experience, you know, he, he started all 13 games for Notre Dame last year on the defensive line, uh, kind of perusing some Notre Dame message boards. It seems like he's not much of a pass rusher, which um, as a 3-4 defensive end, typically you, you wouldn't be. What he is, uh, what a lot of Notre Dame fans think, is that he's a very solid uh, run defender, which is precisely what the Sooners need on the defensive line right now. So I, I, I think getting Jay Hayes that's just a marriage made in heaven right there and I you know anytime you add good depth on the defensive line and this is not, I mean this guy's this guy's huge this guy has an NFL body um, he's 6'4 290 I mean this guy this is a really big guy he's definitely gonna add some beef to the defensive line which is which is massive so and, and we'll, we'll get into it a little more I had a couple of months ago kind of in the in the shadows of, of, of the Rose Bowl after that game I, I had made the comment that I'm and especially after Neville Gallimore, or not Neville Gallimore, excuse me, after Devontae Lampkin announced that he would be, uh, he would be in the NFL draft, I said that I was I was slightly concerned about the depth on a defensive line. Um, they were being put in a situation where they were really going to be counting on a couple of true freshmen coming in, or, or a few true freshmen coming in, 
uh, Ronnie Perkins and Ron Tatum and Michael Thompson. And I, and in my head, I was thinking that's, that's not a good position to be in. Um, now there are some things over the course of the spring game on Saturday that sort of changed my mind, maybe about the depth of the defensive line. Um, but one of those developments was Jay Hayes committing. And so not to get off and too far into left field. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll talk more about Jay Hayes as the, as the season comes up. We don't really know a ton about him yet. Um, I haven't seen really any film of him yet, but we, we know the things we do know is that he is a he started every game for Notre Dame last year, and he is a good run defender. Um, so just plug and play with him. I, I expect him, if if not if not him starting game one on the defensive line next year, I I fully expect him to be a main contributor in the rotation. Uh, Lee, we'll we'll move on a little bit. I did want to I did want to touch on a couple of more things you said about Theo Weiss and R.J. Henderson. And I, I I know what you're talking about with you know wanting to get those those big time defensive recruits and of course I mean everyone wants those, uh, but at the same time I, I think a little context is is necessary here. Um, a guy like R.J. Henderson, you you said you haven't seen his tape. He when I looked at him on tape, he reminded me of someone like C.D. Lamb. Um, so that's the type of player that he is. Um, uh, uh, two other receivers in this class, and now I'm talking about Theo Weiss, and then another uh, wide receiver commit that they have in this class, and that's Trajan Bridges. He's he's from Carrollton, Texas. He's a he's a four star top 100 guy. Those are the guys who are who are kind of uh, taller and, and are, are more more suited for the jump ball, and, and those are guys that the Sooners haven't had really ever in their offense. And I think that's that's the type of that's the type of person they really needed against Georgia. And I know I know they had a you know, 600 yards and they scored nearly 50 points against Georgia. Um, but you know, guys like that, those are the ones who can, who can really, even when the defense calls the perfect defense and, and someone on the other, on the other team is in a position to make a play. Those are the type of types of guys that you need to go up and get a ball. And that's something that the Sooners have never really had. Think back to, um, Clemson winning a national championship with Deshaun Watson. Do they win that national championship without Mike Williams? Of course not. And that's the type of guy uh, who you're talking about when when someone like Theo Weiss is brought into the brought into the equation, and and that's a big deal. And I just I just wanted to bring that up, where guys like Theo Weiss and R.J. Henderson and Trajan Bridges, these are the types of guys who are going to be game changers, guys who can go up and make a play when it doesn't seem possible to make a play. So, and I think especially at the wide receiver position, those are those are the types of players that the Sooners have never had. So I just I think that's important. Um, and so they're, they're adding new guys into the program that have different skill sets. You know, I'm surprised. I, I think, yeah, for somebody like, like you that has so much Oklahoma uh, encyclopedic type memories, how can you say that they haven't had guys like that at wide receiver that are big and go up and make contested catches? They've had uh, for what, what was it for a year or two? They had Justin Brown, who was a six, three guy who go up there and do that. Malcolm Kelly could do that. He was six, four. He was a big bodied receiver that could go up and make plays and then throw in tight ends. I know they're not wide receivers, but in Oklahoma's offense for all intents and purposes, tight ends are also wide receivers. I mean, uh, Mark Andrews is six three, six four, six five, whatever he is. He's a guy that can go up and get jump balls as well. So it's not like the Oklahoma hasn't had these on on their roster and in their offense. I don't know if that's they haven't had a guy a like takeaway. they haven't had a guy like Mike Williams, Lee, like a first round legit big time wide receiver. Justin Brown and, and, and Malcolm Kelly were were nice, or Malcolm Kelly was a really good college player. He was not a guy who was going to go up and and take a jump ball away from a corner. And he was a big guy who could who could make some contested catches. But he's he, he's not just going to go up and take a ball away from a defender. And and Justin Brown was a nice player for the Sooners for one year, but he certainly wasn't that person. Um, this is Theo Weiss is a guy who, Lee who who is who is big, is thick, 
and can and can go up and take balls away from defensive backs. And I, I so I, I completely disagree. I, I, I don't think the Sooners have ever had anyone remotely close to that. Um, well, also too, I'm I'm not a big fan of the fade. I mean, this is basically you're saying they'd be really good on the fade route, and it's just not a good high percentage play anyway. Unless you do have Lee, a big body type guy. Lee, OU is not always going to have Baker Mayfield. You realize that, right? It's this is not what what, what we saw what we what? what we saw this past year. Yeah, I know <laughs> what we saw this past year is not normal. Is not normal. College college quarterbacks generally are not good. And you you need you, you need you need big guys like Theo Weiss and Trajan Bridges and R.J. Henderson to go up and get the ball in those situations. And it really well, sure. I'm I'm not arguing that it's not important. I'm just my main argument is that it's I don't think it's it's as it's been as bare in the cupboard as you're making it out to be. I think Oklahoma's had guys that can do this. And I completely agree. I think I I, I disagree. I'm sorry. I I think the Sooners for the most part have been really without. Um, really game-breaking receivers like in the mold of someone like Mike Williams or, or Calvin Ridley from this past they, they really haven't had they, they've had nice possession guys they're, they're well, Calvin Ridley is not a good example that you for your argument yeah I, I'm I mean go, go you, you know what I meant but the like Julio Jones who, who, sorry who, Julio Jones maybe like thank uh, you. Amari Cooper yes perhaps. Th- those two would have been would have been much better examples but you know what I meant so I I mean I the, the the two best receivers in Oklahoma history are Sterling Shepard and uh, uh, Ryan Broyles. Ryan Broyles, and they're they're both possession guys. The third best receiver, or the the guy who had the best season in Oklahoma history, is D.D. Westbrook. He's certainly not a guy who's going to go up. I mean, he's a guy who's going to run past guys, but that's it. Um, other than that, Mark Clayton was in the same mold as Sterling Shepard, and and uh, so I, I just I'm going to completely push back on your on your claim that they've had guys like. Um, in the mold of Mike Williams before, because they had they they just never have a guy like uh, they they've had guys uh, in in terms of uh, body size and body wise like that, but they just couldn't catch and they didn't have the skill set of an elite receiver. You know, guys like Dahu Green recently come to mind. Dewan Miller comes to mind as well. Um, this is I, I I really do think OU has done it in the Stoops and Riley era with 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 undersized slot receivers. And that's nice every now and then, but I mean they're going to need some of these big guys, I think, especially if they're going to build a, a, um, an offense that's really going that's really designed to hurt you with the pass. I, I think it's it's very important to get these guys, and also especially in my mind, I, I find uh, especially with Lincoln Riley who's been here, it's about time they start to get these guys. I, I don't I don't know what any recruit of the last decade or so has been watching OU, and I don't understand why you wouldn't want to come here to play wide receiver. That's a great point, and I'm glad you brought that up because I was talking to uh, Brett, one of my coworkers, who's also a, a big fan of the show, and I was saying, you know, it's it's great to see two five-star wide receivers commit to Oklahoma, and it's nice to see players like that finally realize, hey, I can come to Oklahoma and have a lot of fun, catch a lot of touchdowns, get a lot of yards, as opposed to going to an Alabama uh, or a LSU where you're going to be like a Julio Jones who is a difference maker, but you're going to go in and you're going to have 37 catches for 789 yards and five touchdowns and make a couple plays here and there. You know, be a big-time game, maybe make a big touchdown catch, but uh, ultimately have some kind of whatever stats. I mean, but you can go to Oklahoma and you can have games where you score two touchdowns or more a game, and that can be almost uh, – a commonplace considering the offense that the Sooners run. So it's nice to see two elite receivers kind of realize that and want to come to Norman. 
Absolutely, I think I, I think I think we've covered that pretty pretty well. I'll, I'll move on to some of these other guys. Uh, you, you mentioned Jamal Morris. He he was the other big uh, 2019 commit for this weekend. Uh, he's a 6'2", 177 pound safety from Richmond, Texas. So he's he's big. I, I like that a lot. Um, or you know he he's tall, and so I like that for a safety. I'm sure he's got the frame to put on more uh, more weight. I ha- I haven't looked at any of his film, Lee, but he was a guy who. Uh, the internet seemed to really want a lot and, and was very excited when he committed. Lee, the other commits were, let's see here, going through the list here. They had, they had another. They had three guys this weekend, Lee, who were, who were previous decommits who recommitted this weekend. The other one, Lee, was a defensive tackle from Jacksonville, North Carolina, Derek Green. He's 6'5", 305 right now as a high school junior. Okay, and so he's a and so he's a three star guy. But as soon as OU offered him a few months ago, he immediately got offers from Georgia and Tennessee and pretty much every major SEC program. Um, So typically, when you when you see three star guys like this, um, I don't overreact to that. I I like to look at offers because if a three star guy has an Alabama offer, he's probably not a three star guy in, in in reality. So. Um, uh, Derek Green, it, it, I, I know, is a guy that the the Sooner staff really likes, and he certainly has the size. That's I'm looking at him, and he seems like a perfect candidate. I'm I'm, I'm assuming they they look at him as a as a nose guard. Um, another one, Lee. This I think this commit just happened last night, so Monday night. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, that's Jerry and Jones. He's another safety. Uh, he's from Brandon, Mississippi. He's six six foot, one hundred eighty seven pounds. He's another three star recruit that has an offer from pretty much every major SEC program. I know uh, Josh McQuistian over at Sooner Scoop uh, think really likes this guy. He thinks he is he's actually a high four star player and not a not a three star player. So take that for what you will. Uh, Lee, the the other oh that's all of them. I think that that's all the uh, the, the twenty nineteen commits for this week. Uh, the other commit was a was a 2020 commit, and that was Jalen Knighton. He's a running back from Deerfield Beach, Florida. Uh, he does not have a star moniker yet, I'm sure. Uh, I, I read some stuff on Rivals saying that once they come out with their full rankings, he's likely to be a four-star guy. But, Lee, he is from the same high school, I believe, as Miguel Edwards, who is a, who's a defensive back on uh, this most recent recruiting class. All right, well, you know, we've – talked about recruiting now for probably about 10 15 minutes and this is a show that we have said in the past you know we don't we don't cover recruiting we're not recruiting experts and so we kind of leave that up to the the other recruiting uh services and outlets but um, i think as far as that goes i think we've covered enough for our podcast and i think we can now move on to the actual game which is more up our alley at least at least for me it's you know watching the game seeing the guys play and I know you enjoy that too so this is kind of the meat and potatoes where we can tell you what happened in the game first off though let's just briefly touch a lot of big time former OU players were around Bob Stoops' statue dedication happened on Saturday morning I saw Barry Switzer there and Billy Sims and of course he had to give the boomer sooner to the whole crowd which a, a nice turnout for the Stoops statue dedication it, you know in a probably a wind chill like 30 or 40 degree morning on saturday a lot of people of course ad and trent williams were the coaches and also lane johnson and tony jefferson uh on the sidelines grant during the game i saw joe mixon samaj p ryan dd westbrook all those main guys from uh, a couple years ago were back a year ago uh basically uh, everybody from last year's team it seemed like was back uh baker mayfield was not there though as far as i could tell so a lot of big time former sooners were there for the weekend i'm sure that was big for a lot of the current players for oklahoma and then the recruits as well and then the weather and 
don't want to spend too much time on this because everyone knows it was bad, but coming from somebody who's from Minnesota, I know obviously you're in Minnesota right now, uh, you know, we know what real cold weather is like and what miserable weather is like. And I got to tell you, it, it was legitimately awful on Saturday. And the reason is, is because of the wind and the wind, the wind was blowing consistently at like 20 to 30 miles per hour. Every once in a while, there'd be even bigger wind gusts. And as you know, Grant, in Minnesota, it gets really cold. It can get crazy cold. And I've even lived up in northern Minnesota for a small, like a year and a half, where it got to be sometimes wind chills of like negative, like 60 degrees. It was stupid. But you can be in places like Oklahoma or western Kansas where the temperature is like 40, 50 degrees. But if the wind is blown out of the north at 25 to 35 miles per hour, just constant nailing you in the face, and the wind chills are down in the 30s, that almost feels colder than a day in Minnesota when it's maybe like five degrees outside. And that's kind of what it was like at the spring game. So big kudos to all the fans who showed up. Did it even look cold to you on TV? Yeah, it looked very cold because I, I just I, I know that um, I know that look so much. I mean, we've how many how many baseball games have we played in 35 degree weather when the, the wind is blowing at 15, 20 miles an hour and it's it's overcast. You know, I it's Stupid. it's it. I, I, I knew the feeling it's not. Like, it's not. I, I could see and you, you could see it on the players, too. They were uncomfortable. Um, and so I, Lee, I've said it, you know, I've, I've lived in Minnesota for about 16 years of my life now. I don't, I, I've, I think I've maybe had more miserable cold days in Oklahoma and Kansas than I have in Minnesota. And I, I think I, I, I've said this to anyone who will listen 50 degrees in Oklahoma is just so much colder than 50 degrees in Minnesota it's hard to even quantify and tell people like you you have you, <laughs> you have to experience it yourself and it's the wind it is the wind when it is it's you know Minnesota obviously is going to have more cold days than Oklahoma ever will but man it gets it, it just it feels so much colder in Oklahoma than it does in Minnesota it is uh, it's it, it's hard to explain like you, you really and I'm sure there's lots of people out there who think I'm insane right now but once you once you finally experience it, you, you would know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, if, if I didn't have to be at the game on Saturday, there's absolutely zero chance I would have been in Norman for that. I would have been doing something else inside. There's no doubt about it. It was the worst day of the week by far. All the other days around it bookended before. I mean, it was all a lot better. Today, as we're recording this in Oklahoma, it's like 80. So, I mean, it might be hotter than that. So it's just randomly just a terrible, terrible timing for it. So, again, congrats and uh, you know, big kudos to all the fans who showed up and actually uh, br- brave that. And maybe a big reason why Grant was Trace Atkins. <laughs> Although I will say uh, the concert, the Trace Atkins concert, kind of just came and went. Uh, there were uh, hundreds of people on the field who paid to be there for that concert, and there are, of course, thousands more in the stands watching. But there's just no way to to quantify just how many more people attended the spring game because of Trace Atkins. Uh, so hopefully everyone out there that was a big Trace Atkins fan, hopefully that was what you were hoping it would be. Because for me, it was kind of a non-starter. Yeah, uh, I actually... Trace I, Atkins guy. I was, you know, so the the game wasn't on here in Minnesota, obviously. I had to, I had to watch it another way after the fact, but... Uh, I, I was following Twitter kind of when the game was going on, and, and there just was really no talk about Trace Atkins whatsoever by anybody. So there was a the big the big hubbub for three weeks after it was announced, and everyone all outraged and upset. And then you know day comes and no one no one talks about it at all. I thought that was kind of funny, um, but you know what? Hey, if they 
they're going to make Trace Adkins an annual thing if they have recruiting weekends like this. I, I think there's <laughs> seriously, it's not. I think and and now in retrospect, and now that we know everything that's happened, this weekend was, and I've 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 been saying it for a month now. This weekend was important because of the recruiting. Nothing else. Spring games generally are irrelevant. They're stupid. This time it was not because of the recruiting. This was a big deal. That's why this was going to be a big deal. And you know what? In retrospect, the Trace Atkins thing, you can say that it was a success because the weekend was a success with the recruiting. So you know what? Hats off. The Trace Atkins thing did not blow up in anybody's faces, um, and it worked out just fine. It wouldn't have been my first choice, but you know what? That's irrelevant now. Who cares? And I think it's fair to say that if the weather was better, more people would have shown up. I mean, there's there's no telling how many more people would have would have been at the game. But come on, if it was 75 or 80 degrees and a nice day in Oklahoma, I think a lot more people would have showed up. There's definitely a lot of people. I, I'm just guessing that the game day came and the weather was like that. It was like, yeah, no, nope, no way. Not worth it. So, all right. Finally, after we've been talking about it, let's let's go to the game. So we had Team Peterson beating team williams 10 to 9 in overtime now they only played competitively for two quarters and then that overtime period of course now what i want this discussion to be is for all those people who are huge oklahoma fans but really don't care about the spring game and i gotta admit i was one of those people for a lot of years didn't even think twice about the spring game didn't even pay attention until basically august when the season would be right around the corner for those people out there, I want this discussion to be all the most important takeaways from the scrimmage. So even if you missed it, we'll just fill you in on what is most important. And first off, I want to jump on something that I noticed right away on the offensive line, and that is Bobby Evans, the guy who we all believe is Oklahoma's best offensive lineman, was still playing right tackle in the spring game. Now, you and I have speculated that Evans will move over and take Orlando Brown's spot at left tackle, but for the red team... It was Evans starting at right tackle and Cody Ford starting at left tackle. So, Grant, were you surprised by this? Yes. I mean, yeah, of course. Um, I think, you know, ever since Orlando Brown announced that he was going to the NFL draft, I think it was, and also the Calvin Anderson, the now, the now Longhorn grad transfer, ever since he decided on Texas, I, I think conventional wisdom has always suggested that Bobby Evans would just slide right over to the left. Um, apparently, that's not happening. And honestly, it's, it's kind of a head-scratcher to me. I, I never... Cody Ford does not strike me as a left tackle or even as a tackle in general. Um, so this one's this one's a little weird to me. I, I'm not entirely sure why they're doing this. I do have to assume that they're doing it for, you know, Cody Ford has shown something to, to suggest that he can handle being a left tackle. Um, honestly, Lee, more information is needed on this. I, I really hope someone... Do you know the next time that Lincoln Riley has media availability? Um, I think he's done for the spring. So, so so it wouldn't be until July, probably. Maybe not until media day. The media I mean, day. Certainly every once in a while he'll he'll be available and people will ask him questions here and there. I mean, and so, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, I'm not sure. And, and so, yeah, I, I haven't really seen a lot of coaches quotes or anything like this talking about this move. But yeah, it, it's a head scratcher, you know, to me for sure. I, I'm, I'm kind of at that point now where I sort of just kind of trust Bill Biedenboe with whatever he does. Um, so if he thinks Cody Ford can be an effective starting left tackle, um, then I tend to agree with him. So we, we know what we have with Bobby Evans at, at, at right tackle. He's one of the best offensive linemen in the Big 12 at right tackle. So, I mean, that works. Uh, Cody Ford has, has generally been good whenever he, he, he's in there. Um, and so we'll see. This could, this could honestly just be an attempt by Biedenboe 
to get you know his five best offensive linemen on the field at the same time, which is which is never you know an easy thing, especially when typically you had Samia and Ford kind of splitting reps. All right, I will correct myself. So I'm just looking at my emails right now, and as we record this on Tuesday night. Oklahoma assistant coaches will be available for interviews tonight. So Tuesday, April 17th, if you're listening to this later, OU assistant coaches and maybe even Lincoln Riley, who knows, he might talk to. So there will be some coach availability and potentially players after the final spring practice uh, on Tuesday, April 17th. So uh, we'll see if anything comes up out of that. But as far as uh, Bobby Evans goes, I, well, first of all, I gotta go back. I, I think you might need to reevaluate your thoughts on certain players and whether or not they can play certain positions because Cody Ford is just a big massive person and so is Orlando Brown so I don't understand why you don't think Cody Ford could play tackle oh, I mean he's, Orla- he's built like a big guy well he's a, he's a guard Lee look at their body types I mean I just Orlando guard Brown tack- Orlando Brown's they, like is like four inches taller than Cody Ford Cody Ford's like six four that's a huge dude six four like what three thirty yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm just saying he does not. He typically does not have the body that you would want for a for a I mean, left if tackle. Orlando Brown can play tackle, so can Cody Orlando. Ford. I mean, if Phil Lodeholt could play tackle, so or, could Orlando. Cody Ford. Orlando Brown is very long and kind of and and for a guy who's nearly 400 pounds, he's kind of lean too. Like or at least you know what I mean. So yeah. he's like, I I, I guess I, I'm not great at explaining this, but Cody <laughs> Cody Ford is he he just he doesn't look like a left. He's not a left tackle, so that's why I'm I, I'm I'm just confused. By oh, I disagree. I disagree. I think he Lee, looks you like can't, a tackle or guard. Lee, ju- I mean, just I, because that you're an offensive lineman does not mean you can just plug someone in at any position on the offensive line. I disagree. It does not. I it does not work like that. I'll have to ask my offensive line experts uh, to see what they think about it. But uh, I mean, surely though, like, you, you you think it looks like Bobby Evans is is there and he's not moving. I mean, and that's a a good call. I mean, you would think that why would they wait to move him? in the fall because the coaching staff has had plenty of time following the Rose Bowl and National Assigned Day to kind of formulate a plan on this offensive line so I think this is one of two things either number one Bobby Evans is not going to move to left tackle and maybe Bill Biedenboe is thinking well Evans is comfortable at right tackle he's really good there and he likes the idea of the right side of the line along with Drew Samia being steady and solid just like it was last year the two same players so maybe that's the thought process and they're going to give somebody else a shot at left tackle. Or number two, they still plan to move Evans to the left side, but the coaches are just so confident that he can make that transition smoothly in fall camp that right now the coaching staff is just trying to see if anybody else in the group can actually play left tackle competently. And, I mean, Cody Ford's been in this program for going on four uh, four years now. I mean, three going on four years. So maybe he's just earned a shot to play there. And that's what we're looking at right now. So uh, stay tuned on this one. This is certainly something that I haven't really heard many people discuss since the spring game. And uh, this is interesting. This certainly is because the offensive line was so good in 2017 for Oklahoma. And you and I both think it's going to be really good again in 2018. Uh, But we didn't see this coming. We didn't see potentially Bobby Evans sticking at right tackle. Yeah, I always just thought it was the obvious thing to to slide him over. So like you said, we'll see. Um, I, I I hope, you know, someone asks ask a coach that that question tonight because i i'd be i hope they can ask bill biedenbo that question because on i mean i would be really really interested to see what he has to say about it continuing with the spring game now that was just the one thing we saw so let's let's talk about 
some of the other players. So I have a few questions that we'll go through, and we'll start with the offensive side of the football. So first question for you, Grant. Who were the best players on the field that you saw, starting with the offense? Okay, this one's tough. You know, I... So I'm looking at my notes here that I took throughout the course of the game, and you know what? On, on offense, I, I just no one stood out to me on offense. They they just it, it was so vanilla. It was so the wind obviously was was obviously affecting the passing game. It seemed like there was there was quite a few ducks and lots of under uh, underthrown balls. You know, I, I thought for those who sorry to interrupt you, but for those who watched on TV when when the the team that was going from left to right. That was with the wind at their back. And from right to left, that was with the wind right in their face. So Kyler Murray had the wind in his face for the first quarter, wind at his back for the second quarter, and it was reversed for Austin Kendall. All right, go ahead. And then so I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I thought there there was some wide receivers that they really, really tried to get the ball to consistently, it seemed like, and there were four of them. And those were where Grant Calcaterra seemed to be kind of the main target for for Austin Kendall. Charleston Rambo had a lot of balls thrown his way. It seemed like uh, Marquise Brown was really the only guy that uh, that Kyler Murray really had any sort of confidence throwing to. And then Ad Miller, I, I thought, got a lot of got a lot of run. He didn't look particularly great, and and really nobody did for, for that matter. So I, honestly, I, I thought the offense looked sloppy and not good for the most part, actually. Um, and and I'm not I'm not particularly concerned about that. Baker Mayfield looked looked average to below average last year in the spring game, and and it's it's for lots of reasons. The weather we always mentioned we already mentioned um, going up against a defense that you know they've seen every single day in practice. The defense knows exactly what they're about to run, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I, I, I'm not I'm not too concerned about about both offenses looking really not that great. Um, things I did like were you know Grant Calcaterra looks like he's going to be a big part of the offense. Which which I like. Um, Charleston Rambo looks like he's physically ready to play, and then Ad Miller, you know, is you know, is is not missing. So so that's nice. He he could add you know some depth. Uh, a thing that I wanted to point out. It seemed like a lot of people were, were pretty high on Kennedy Brooks, um, and I I was I was watching him pretty closely. So I'm I'm clearly in the minority here. I I just I'm not seeing the flashes from Kennedy Brooks that everyone else is seeing. I just he to me he looks like he's still thinking a lot. And he just doesn't. He 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 looks like there's just better athletes out there than him. Um, so I take that with a grain of salt, though. Last year I said very similar things about Trey Sermon, and we know how that turned out. I just I, last year with Sermon, I thought he looked slow and just not ready for Division One football. I I feel pretty, you know, feel a lot of the same things about Kennedy Brooks from from watching the scrimmage from Saturday. All right, for for my money, I, I got two offensive guys that. I thought were the best players on the field. And for continuity's sake, I'll start with Kennedy Brooks. I thought Kennedy Brooks looked very good, actually. I thought he was – now, to be fair, he was running behind the more talented offensive line, and that certainly helped him in this game. But, I mean, he averaged nearly 10 yards a carry. He looked smooth. He looked fluid carrying the rock to me. Uh, he also had that nice catch over the middle of the field for like a 20-plus yard gain coming out of the backfield. Uh the weird thing about Kennedy Brooks, though, that I just noticed out on the field, he wasn't wearing any gloves, and it was a really cold day, so it made me think, okay, well, he just normally doesn't wear gloves to play football, which was kind of a throwback. It reminded me of Dallas Clark back in the day for the Colts when he was playing tight end and didn't wear gloves, so I, th- I figured you'd appreciate that. Wow, Lee, uh, yeah, I was, yeah. I, I, was, I was debating in my mind whether or not it was hacky for me to bring up the fact that he looked ridiculous not wearing gloves. 
And so I, I actually, I thought about first bringing up Kennedy Brooks. I was like, well, first of all, in Kennedy Brooks, that guy's, he's got to get himself a pair of gloves because one, <laughs> one, it's got, have you ever worn football gloves? It's almost impossible to drop a pass when you're wearing them. And, mm-hmm. and, and also he just, he, he doesn't look good out there. You need to, it just, it, it kind of completes the uniform. But of course, that's ridiculous. I mean, he might just prefer to not wear gloves, which is fine, obviously. But um, I don't know. I, I guess with, with are we are we going to go into uh, to glove gate with Kennedy Brooks? Well, no, no. I just wanted to point that out. I, we don't need to spend a lot of time on that. Uh, I just thought it was interesting because uh, to me, uh, you know, you're saying you're not too high on him, and I get it. It's he's not the flashiest of players, and uh, that's kind of well i just part of his game yeah but sure but he so when you say he's not the flashiest and i and i think people would just you know people would probably say oh he's just kind of a blue collar workhorse but no i mean i to me it looks like he's just kind of fighting himself on every single play so you said he hmm. you, you said you thought he just doesn't look like a very good athlete to me that that's the way no, I, I thought see, I, I didn't get that at all out of it and here's I have actually a decent amount of notes on Brooks. Uh, I think he's. I think he's got a really. After just watching this, I think he's got a really good shot to be the number three guy, but behind Rodney Anderson, and Trey Sermon. Uh, I, I think there's a chance he could be a a, a, a decent, uh, above average, nice replacement for the transferred Abdul Adams. I and I hope you're right. And and here, how about this comparison? I, I need you to help me with this. Uh, to me, he looked like a guy who can just get the job done, and he kind of reminded me of a smaller version of Keith Ford, but hopefully not as injury prone as Keith Ford. Oh, I mean, yeah, I, that doesn't wash with me at all. I, I just, I, I didn't. I guess, I, I guess, I, I, I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch it again. I mean, I watched, I, I've watched, you know, I watched the full thing once, and I went back and kind of skimmed it again. He, he just didn't impress me at all, and I guess I don't know what I'm missing. Um, but no, I mean, I, I, he doesn't look anything like Keith Ford, in my opinion. He doesn't, he doesn't run nearly as hard as Keith Ford does. Um, I guess, yeah, I guess, I guess Ford did kind of run hard. Just to me, Ford was never, he's never really a flashy player. And I, you know, I saw him for that year. He was at, at A&M too for a year and saw him some more after he was healthy again. And he just, he never really made any, he, he never really popped off any giant plays. He was always just solid. He would just get like, you know, what the yards were blocked for him. And every once in a while he'd maybe run a guy over or something like that. Uh, to me, Kennedy Brooks looks like a player who just kind of gets the yards that are blocked for him, and he, he looks smart. And, and I got one thing that I found earlier today that I think is going to make you like him. Uh, well, you don't seem to like him that much right now, but I think this is going to definitely make you start to think twice about that. So I found a quote from him from 2016 while he was still in high school, and he went to Mansfield, Mansfield High School in Texas, which is the uh, highest level of Texas high school football, Class 6A. And he, and he put up video game numbers, just incredible numbers, that Lincoln Riley referenced that the other day after the spring game uh, and said a lot of nice things about Kennedy Brooks. Here's what uh, Brooks said in this article I was reading about him. He said, quote, I'm not the best, but I work hard and I keep working. I just want to keep improving and do what I need to do for my team, end quote. Now, in this day and age, how often do you see a four or a five star football recruit ever say anything as humble as "I'm not the best"? Yeah, man, that sounds great. Like I'm. That tells me that he is always constantly going to be working hard to make sure that he is as good as he possibly can be. Sure, absolutely. You I know, love that. More power to you know. I, I hope he proves me wrong. Of course, of course, I want Kennedy Brooks to be a stud. I mean, don't uh, don't take me wrong on this at all. I mean, I, I want him to be a very good player for OU. I just I'm. I, and I, I might just be wearing blinders. I, I just do not see it at all with him. And I, all I can judge is what I've is what I've seen on the field, which was literally just a half of of 
of football of not really real football played at 75%. So that's all I've seen. So that's all I can judge on right now. I don't see the 75% like you said. To me, the guys look like they're playing hard the whole, the whole time. I mean, especially in the trenches. Yeah, I guess I, I just I just have to disagree with you. I, I didn't. It was. Uh, I mean, it, it's hard to play seventy five percent when you're full pads and it's a it's a competition. I mean, that's difficult. I mean, they were they were trying. I'm not saying they weren't trying. I'm just saying they they weren't playing at full speed. They certainly were not playing at full. I mean, go back and watch the game. It wasn't a it was not a high speed football game. Let's see. Now the another kind of a big question coming out of that game, Grant, is the quarterbacks. Do you think there's a legitimate quarterback competition here between Kyler Murray and Austin Kendall? Not really. No. I in fact I thought I thought Austin Kendall kind of looked bad at times actually. And so and, and this th- this goes um this goes beyond just like the weather and the passing. I, I didn't expect anyone to put up insane passing numbers with with the win like that. The more the thing that I was more concerned about with Austin Kendall was how many times um, he threw off his back foot, or the amount of times or he he looked very uncomfortable in the pocket, especially in a game where he knew he wasn't going to get hit. So um, I, I, I thought I, I thought Kendall just kind of looked a little a little nervous out there, and so was he? Who knows? I don't know. Hmm. Um, and and that's not and and that's not to say Kyler Murray was spectacular or anything because he wasn't. Um, I just I, I after watching the game, I I I have a lot more confidence in Kyle Murray in, in Kyler Murray. He just he seemed to have a better grasp of the offense, was running it better, even though he he certainly didn't have as as many as good uh, good players around him that Kendall did. See, that's another interesting. I mean, I thought between the two quarterbacks, I thought Austin Kendall looked looked like the better quarterback between both of them. Uh, and uh, he, he threw a bad interception into the wind that Miguel Edwards made a nice play on. And that was all Miguel Edwards because Kendall thought he looked off the safety and Edwards did a nice job of reading his eyes and coming across the field and, and making the play. And even if the wind wasn't blowing right in Kendall's face, I still think that Edwards still probably would have made a play on that ball and, and probably got the interception. But uh, there was other times where I saw Kendall go through his progressions, uh, at least one play where he not, went through his progressions nicely and, and completed a pass. It was um, that pass he hit Calcaterra down uh, at the bottom of the screen, and Calcaterra got some nice yards after the catch. Uh, Kendall went through his progressions and then saw Calcaterra open, and uh, I didn't see that at all. To me, he looked comfortable for the most part, and he looked like he uh, – if, if you didn't know anything about the two players, uh, I would have definitely guessed that Austin Kendall was – the guy that people would have assumed was going to be the starting quarterback for Oklahoma. Wow, this is—I totally disagree. I, I just—I I thought Kendall would, he looked—he looked shaky. He looked—I I, you didn't notice that how just how how shaky he was under pressure. He had happy no, he had happy feet. He threw off his back foot a lot. He was drifting a lot um, when he was when, when he, he wasn't when he was under, under pressure, pressure that much. I mean, there was one play too where he ended up uh, he scrambled. And picked up about eighteen yards. I'll give him that. He, he looks nice coming out of the his, pocket. His straight line speed seems to be okay for a guy his size. Can we say that? I'll, I'll say that about him. And you know, hey, I, this is not this is not to to bag on Austin Kendall. I mean, this is this is no, a I spring. Know you're not bagging on him. This is It's interesting that yeah. our our thoughts are so sure. drastically and, you know, different. This is a spring game. This is a game that Baker Mayfield played poorly in last year. So I mean, this is this happens, and this is why this is why I'm hesitant to to draw too much conclusions from a spring game. But no, I mean, I thought I thought Kyler Murray just looked a lot more comfortable in the pocket. Um, I think, and he's he's just going to be a more dynamic option for this offense, and I think Kendall will be. But having that been said, I think if if Kendall you know were to win the job, I don't think it'd be a bad thing. He's I, I think he's he's very he's certainly a capable quarterback at this level. 
Um, I just, I, Kyler Murray can just do a lot more things, and I that's what I saw during over the yeah. Course no, of I mean, game. having said that about Austin Kendall, I I still just to be clear, I don't. There's probably not a real competition here. I think Murray's still the the guy, uh, but I thought Murray looked a bit shaky. I didn't. He didn't look particularly sharp at all. He seemed to try to rely on his legs a little too much for my liking. Uh, it, again, in his defense, his offensive line was much more inexperienced than Austin Kendall, so that probably played a bit of a factor in in Murray looking uncomfortable at times. Uh, but the thing that bothered me the most is even when he was had, had the wind at his back, uh, Murray's deepest completion of the day went just for about 10 or 12 yards. And he seemed like he, he was hesitant, hesitant to pull the trigger down the field. And even on one play where he, uh, I think it was a double move to A.D. Miller, he held onto the ball way too long and threw it late and uh, a defensive back broke it up. And I just, his, uh, I guess just, um, I, I can't think of the, the word, his, his anticipation just wasn't there. And uh, but at the same time, like you said, you've mentioned it twice or three times now. I mean, it's the spring game and even Mayfield didn't look great. And even Lincoln Riley acknowledged that as as presser after the game that Mayfield didn't play well at all last year. And obviously he was the best player in college football. last Yeah, you know, I don't think uh, I I don't think I don't think Kyler played well by any sense. In fact, he did. He didn't. He probably played poorly by by, you know, regular football standards. But so did the offense. The offenses were let's let's not sugarcoat it. The offenses on Saturday were dreadful. They were bad. So, I mean, there's and there's lots of reasons for that. The weather, uh, it just the fact it being a spring game, you're going against a bunch of guys who know what you're about to run. So, I mean, I, I'm just I'm not going to overreact uh, with stuff that I saw in offense because, honestly, I'm just not that concerned about the offense. You know what it was? They had visors painted on the field. It had Bob Stoops' name on the field. It was a Bob Stoops day. So, you know what? The defenses, and a salute to Bob Stoops, played some Bob Stoops old school hard-nosed defense and shut down the offenses that's what it was Grant they were just so inspired by Bob Stoops being the main guy of the day that it was old school early 2000s Oklahoma defense or it was a spring game and defenses always dominate spring games could (laughs) could have been that I don't know maybe you have any uh, other offensive thoughts before we move on to the defense? Um, just, I mean, uh, like I said, when I watch these games, I like to look at young guys to see how physically, you know, how they look in their pads, how they're coming along. A guy, guys on the offensive line that stood out to me physically, and I'm just, I'm going to mention one guy, uh, is Marquise Hayes. That guy is a freaking monster. My goodness, he is large. So I, I, I assume, <laughs> I assume we'll probably be seeing quite a bit of Marquise Hayes this this upcoming season, and and a lot more in the twenty twenty season. But that was that was kind of my last thing. I thought Marquise Hayes physically uh, looked really impressive. He's probably going to be backing up Ben Powers this year. So Marquise Hayes, he was at left guard for Adrian Peterson's team. So it was uh, that offensive line was right tackle Quinn Mittermeyer, right guard Drew Samia, center Jonathan Alvarez, left guard Marquise Hayes, left tackle Eric Swinson. So, uh, and I have another offensive lineman to mention before we move on to the defense. Grant, I noticed kind of late in the second quarter. Uh, which I guess would be late in the game when Kyler Murray's team had the had the football. Adrian Ely came in to play right tackle, and he was beat by Kenneth Mann for a sack. And then two plays later, Mark Jackson beat Ely off the edge, and I believe Ely was called for a hold. And after that, Quinn Mittermeyer came back into the game for Ely, so he got a shot. And it looked like uh, it looks like Ely is is a guy who's got a ways to go to earn some playing time in this offensive line group. I yeah, don't know if he did you not notice anything about him. Yeah, he didn't look good. 
He did not look good. But at this, but hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the same thing. It was a spring game. I, I you know, Adrian Ely is is the guy that ever that that you know insiders have kind of been pointing that the coaching staff has said they're really high on. And I think there's there's a feeling within the program they really want they re, at least this was kind of the assumption that they were going to move Bobby Evans over and that they really wanted Adrian Ely to come up and, and probably win that right tackle job. But yeah, he didn't look good. But you know, it's it's a spring game, and I, and I just I it, it could have been for lots of reasons. You know, you know maybe he maybe his girlfriend dumped him or something, and he feels bad. It, it could it could be anything dumb like it was a spring game. You know. <laughs> uh, okay. How about defense? So we're going to do the same thing with the defensive side of the football. Who were the best players on defense that you saw on Saturday, Grant? Okay, I actually, so I am more prepared on defense. I have much, many more thoughts on defense, actually, because uh, the defensive side of the ball was where I actually came away much more impressed with people. So, Lee, to answer your question, um, I'll I'll pick out one guy on each team who I thought were the two best players on the defense uh, over the course of the entire day. one of those was Kenneth Mann, who you just mentioned about forty-five seconds ago. He was on the he was on the red team, correct? So that was yes, yeah. Um, I thought that he, was Team Williams. Yeah, I, I thought Kenneth Mann was had had the best day of anyone on that on that team. And Lee on the white team, I thought you know Buki was. Um, I have it here. Lee Buki looked like the best player on the defense. Period. Um, and I have it mm-hmm. written here. I haven't decided if that is concerning or exciting. <laughs> uh that's pretty good it, it that's could pretty good. could be a little bit of both i'd say but I, and i'm this is not this is not hyperbole on my based off solely on on what we watched on saturday and again i'm going to say this probably a hundred more times before we're done i know it was just a spring game but lee buki looks like the sooner's best defender well for my best defensive players, we are much more on the same page on this side of the football compared to the offensive side of the ball. I have the same two guys who were the best players on the field. I'll start with Mann. He had a one tackle for loss. He had one sack. I mentioned the sack earlier going against Adrian Ely. Uh, he was a starting defensive end for the red team. And as you know, as I've said on this podcast, I think he's going to start for this team this year. Uh, I think he's got the ability to be kind of like DJ Ward last season, maybe even provide a little more little more dynamic play you know with with some sacks and whatnot uh you know Amani Bledsoe in the game he was okay it didn't really jump out to me that much uh Neville Gallimore didn't jump out either uh those are other defensive ends in the three four and then of course you got the the grad transfer from Notre Dame who will will definitely fit in there somewhere uh you know I it's hard to see Bledsoe not starting because because he's got so much upside and he's so big and he's one of the leaders on this defensive line uh Gallimore, though, uh, he's been talked up a lot this spring. I just, I just didn't see it. So I, I hope I'm wrong about Neville Gallimore. I, I, he needs to be a guy that can that can really show out for this defensive line because he's such a big dude and I, he's such a good guy. And I, I want to see him do well. And then as far as Buki goes, uh, he started that strong safety, played a lot of strong safety. Also played a lot of nickelback. Uh, just looked confident playing the run, playing the pass, no matter what. Uh, I counted four different times in the game where Mike Stoops blitzed him, and he got a sack on one of those. It was the play where Kendall mishandled the snap, and uh, uh, Buki was able to get the sack on that play. And who knows, even if Kendall would have gotten the ball normally on that play, I think Buki, at the very worst, would have certainly disrupted the play and made Kendall do something he didn't want to do, maybe throw it too soon or whatnot, because I'm not sure if uh, Kennedy Brooks was able to slide over in time to block him. 
Uh, there were moments when he lined up at Nickelback. He lined up across from Grant Calcaterra a lot. And after the game, I asked Calcaterra if uh, he and Buki are doing that a lot at practice, if they're going up against each other. And he said, yeah, at practice, they, they're going one-on-one a lot because they just want to make each other better. And Calcaterra just talked about how good Buki is, and it's hard to imagine that he's just uh, he's early enrollee freshman. So Buki was great. And he was the guy I most wanted to see on the field, and he did not disappoint. He's just – you can see it on tape even before this in high school. And, I mean, again, that's, that's what, five minutes of tape. And uh, you can see it in the spring game. And even though it doesn't matter, if you're good, you're going to show up no matter what the situation is. And he showed up, and he looked great. And he's going to start for this team. And like you said, he, I agree. He looked like the best player on defense out there on Saturday. Yeah, and Lee, he just kind of has – and and I'm I'm usually not someone to buy in to, to weird stuff like this, but and I, I got this just by watching the game on my on my phone, Lee. Uh he's just got an aura around him. He's got a swagger. And he like to uh, and almost to the point where it seems like uh, he he knows exactly what he's doing out there. I that's just kind of how it feels like when I was watching him. He he was not uh there there's a there's another true freshman to, um defensive player who who I thought uh, looked really physically uh, impressive out there, but was just kind of thinking a lot, and it looked like he was thinking a lot. That was Ronnie Perkins. Um, that was not the same deal with with Buki. Buki seemed like he knew exactly where to be at all times. He was confident in what he was doing. I mean, he 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 does. He just looks like that alpha male out there that it doesn't that it that it feels like the Sooners' defense hasn't had in a long time, and that's exciting to me. But also a little bit concerning that a a true freshman, a guy who should still be in high school right now, has has walked on you know campus already and might already be their best defensive player. Um, yeah, like I said, part of that is concerning and exciting at the same time. So um, I, I just I'm, I'm I think what was it like a couple months ago when we were when we were predicting who the starters would be next year? I think I I think I predicted that Buki wouldn't be a starter. I'm throwing that. I mean he's he's very clearly. Uh, going to be a starter in the secondary wouldn't surprise me if he if he is the starting strong safety to be honest with you and then on nickel they they, they bring him in to play nickel so you know we'll we'll see what happens but the, but the Sooners certainly got themselves a, a gym with Buki I, I mean it's it is it possible that yes. they have, it, it, I mean Lee is it possible and just hear me out here because th- I mean this is really where the hype is going is it possible that they that the Sooners just signed um a true freshman who is who is who is going to come in and play at like an all-american level from day one he stepped foot on campus is that possible it's possible i still am obviously concerned and anybody can be concerned because this is still this is so much hyperbole at least we got a chance to see him on the field playing against other college players and he looked good he he didn't really make any mistakes from what i saw uh he like i said earlier he looked comfortable against the run and the pass uh but I am concerned that more time in the program, I just I, I don't want this culture that has been the last four or five years of just really poor defense, uh, specifically very poor secondary defensive back play. I just I don't want that to, to, to rub off on him because that's a concern because culture is so important. And hopefully the culture is changing and defense is going to start to improve at Oklahoma. Uh, and maybe he's somebody that can be the leader in changing that culture but that's my biggest concern is just the all-around scheme and everything just not making not utilizing him the way he's supposed to be utilized but from what we saw in a very vanilla spring game he was utilized very well 
blitzed, like I said, four different times, and uh, he looked very good. Yeah, let's 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 move on from Buki a little bit. I think we've we we've talked about Buki a lot the last month or so. So I think really I I, I kind of have some bullet points here with my thoughts on the defense. I just want to go through these really quick just to get your thoughts on them because these are the things that I saw. So we'll go back to the defensive line real quick, and I just I just briefly mentioned Ronnie Perkins. But the thing that stood out the most to me about him is that he's he is a massive human being, um, and so I can confirm that. Yeah, and so uh, it, it does look like he's 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 thinking a little too much, and maybe not at at this point not able to play full speed because he is thinking a little too much. But that is a man who is physically ready to play Division One football. He is absolutely going to be a contributor in the fall. I have no doubt about it. I saw a lot of uh, I shouldn't say a lot of I saw three different plays worth mentioning as far as Ronnie Perkins. The very first play of the game. He was playing defensive end starting, and he was super aggressive, and he crashed down the line on a, on a read option that Austin Kendall pulled. And instead of keeping contain, Perkins allowed Kendall to get outside and pick up 18 yards, and it's like, welcome to college football, kid. you got to be more disciplined. But then on the same exact drive, he made a really nice play where he stayed at home, got a hit on – Carson Meyer coming out of the backfield and then pressured Austin Kendall into to making a, a throw he didn't want to throw. Actually, I think he ended up getting sacked by Kenneth Mann or, or Tyree Slot. No, it was Addison Gums. So, I mean, just a couple of plays later, he played a lot better, and it's like he learned instantly. And then there's another play later in the, the scrimmage where, and you probably remember, where they tried to do a reverse to Jaqueline Crawford, and it didn't go the way they wanted to because I think there was a bad snap or, or something like that. And Perkins came from behind the play and just blew up Crawford. I think he forced a fumble as well. So he's a guy that has the ability to make those big hits. And it seemed like in the in the middle of the game, we saw him learning and not just not getting worse, but actually getting better. So that's certainly a positive sign. Absolutely. And then uh, again on the defensive line, another guy who who stood out to me, um, and, and really, I, I didn't think anyone was bad on the defensive line at all. I thought the defensive line was steady and was was okay for the most part. But a guy who, who that did stand out to me and kind of, this is one of the reasons uh, why my depth concerns were a little alleviated. Lee, I thought Tyrese Lott looked pretty good. Um, mostly just because he looks he looks a lot bigger and he looks quicker. Which means that he's gotten, I think he's probably gotten better. And he, he, he looks like a guy who's physically ready to play a lot more. Um, and, and he, he's a guy who I, th- who I think is going to play on the inside of that defensive line, which, and I think if Tyrese Lott could, um, could emerge and be a, a, a dependable, you know, second string guy, I think that would, that would go a long way for, you know, for the depth on the defensive line. Yeah. I don't have any thoughts much on, uh, really on Lott. I did notice he, he did get a sack in the game and, uh, yeah, he's a big, big player and yeah. And that's, uh, and that's the, not the to- more. That's not to say that I think he's going to be like an all-American or anything. I just thought he looked he looked serviceable and he looked yeah. and, he, and he looked ready to contribute, you know, to a top 10 football team, I think. Um moving on Lee, uh, I think so actually my my biggest takeaway I thought um from on the defensive side from the scrimmage, Lee, I thought the Jack linebackers all sh- all looked pretty good. Um and 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 when I say the Jack linebackers, I, I'm mostly referencing three different players. Uh, Addison Gums, Mark Jackson Jr., and then also uh, Jakairi Daly, I, I thought looked really good. Um, so Addison Gums, I think, is the most physically imposing out of all of them. Um, he, he's huge. He, he just looks kind of like a physical freak. Mark Jackson Jr., the thing I was most impressed with him was his versatility. He played three different positions, Lee. 
Um, he he played that jack position. He, all, he had to, yeah, based on that roster. Yeah, and he <laughs> he played weak side defensive end, and he also played a little bit of Sam linebacker. And so I I hope I hope that's something that they that they are going to do with him this upcoming season. I hope that wasn't just because of the uh, of because of the spring game. Because I think if if, if if they can get him to play three different positions, that's very very valuable. Um, and I think this upcoming season one of the one of the things the defense really needs to do is they need to utilize their depth is they need to get they need to get athletes on the field and ask them to do athletic things um and you know mark jackson jr obviously proving that he can do that playing three separate positions and 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 for the most part looking pretty good um i kind of i I, for the most part lee i expected gums and jackson to look adequate looked good um where i was really pleasantly surprised was was jakairi daly um i i think he he looks he just he flashed explosiveness uh, and he he really reminded me a lot of and this is this is a guy from from a few years ago who was uh who is a juco transfer who is in the nfl still but he he really reminded me a lot of a of, of a Devonte bond type um really he's he, he was a lot thicker than i expected he's going to be playing the jack so on the edge i think he came in as just an outside linebacker kind of undersized maybe about 200 or and 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 change and poundage he looked big he looked thick and ready to kind of take on edge um edge or defend the edge in college football so um if if they can have three guys who can play that positionally and they can they can continue to be uh they can continue to sub them out um and, and make sure that they're always fresh i mean that can be that can be a really big deal because especially last year you, you never saw oboe really come off the field last year well also take into account too there's two players that didn't participate in this game that could potentially be either uh, a jack linebacker type candidate or at the very least a defensive end and that's Jalen Redmond who was a little nicked up I guess and that's why he didn't play and then Ron Tatum who hasn't even showed up at school yet so those are other two both players Uh, uh, four star Tatum's definitely a defensive end he's like he's the same size as Ronnie Perkins yeah, I mean uh, Tatum. I mean he played defensive end in high school, so yeah, I, I I know. I mean, so did Redmond, but I know they're talking about Redmond maybe as like a Jack kind of guy, as well. So I mean, honestly, Tatum and Redmond are built pretty similar. They're both huge. Yeah, yeah, and I agree. But I, and, uh, I, I mean, and, and Redmond's just crazy athletic. But man. he played like offense too every once in a while. Yep. They needed some big plays. But yeah, I mean, I, Lee, I came away from it. I think um, I, I I'm not ready to call who is going to win that uh, that battle at Jack, but I'm. I'm I'm certain now. I think I think Jakairi Daly is going to be a contributor this year on defense. Uh, he he looks he looks physically ready to go. Well, let's see. Um, is that all your notes on defense? Uh, no, I got more. That's about halfway through. I was just on Jack. I I I'll, I can I'll bring this up really quickly though. I'll go quick. Um, on the other linebackers, I thought John Michael Terry and Levi Draper were really solid. I thought they looked pretty good. Um. And then I a note here, I think depth at linebacker all of a sudden looks like pretty okay uh, because you have John Michael Terry and Levi Draper who um, who are going to be, we would assume, who, who are going to back up uh, Caleb Kelly and Kenneth Murray probably this year. Um, and then they also have, you know, other guys. They got Curtis Bolton, Ryan Jones, Mark Jackson can play some linebacker, Deshaun White coming in. Uh, they got some depth there, Lee, and I'm, I'm slightly surprised that it, that, that it recovered that quickly. Yeah, I put my notes that Levi Draper was actually very serviceable. I thought, um, and you know, could be solid depth. And also, too, yeah, I wanted to mention Ryan Jones because I know he's a guy that that you're intrigued by. I noticed that he blitzed once or twice, 
playing and starting at Sam linebacker for the white team, and he had six tackles in the game. So maybe he is a, a player. I know he's, he's one of the most important guys, at least he was maybe a month or so ago, that you thought the defense needed to, to have a, a nice contributing role. Uh, he's a guy that looked like a linebacker. And I wasn't quite sure if he really could make that transition based on his original body type. Yeah, and he's a guy. I mean, he he's two hundred and thirty pounds. So I mean, he certainly he, he certainly has the size to play that position. So yeah, I mean, but going forward, I mean, I just I I, I think they they at least proved that they got some guys who I mean, last year Brian Mead was was backing up was backing up Emmanuel Beal, and, and I don't think that's going to be an issue this year. So I think that's a positive. Uh, moving on, just just really quickly, couldn't really get a good uh, read on the secondary outside of Buki. Uh, but I thought Motley looked uh, a little bit bigger, just a tad bigger. Uh, I thought Justin Broyles showed off some twitchiness, some athleticism, um, and I thought Patrick Fields looked good, uh, but all you know, maybe not physically ready to play yet. Um, and then uh, another freshman, Gell Edwards, outside of book, outside of Buki, I thought he was probably the most active player in the secondary, around the ball the most. Um, but he's he's not at all physically ready to play college football. He needs to add at least 15 to 20 pounds of muscle. And I have the note here, he looked slightly like Dakota Austin out there. So we can't <laughs> can't can't quite put Miguel Edwards out there quite yet. Um, let's see. Secondary-wise, yeah, it, it was tough because that's normally the uh, position group that I have the most thoughts on. Uh, it's just so difficult because there wasn't a whole lot of completed passes. The, w- the weather affected that, surely. I uh, didn't really notice that on um, Parnell Motley that you did. I, he looked the same to me. Uh, Miguel Edwards, I, he didn't look as small as you're making it out to be. I thought he looked like just a regular, normal cornerback. Um, and, again, that interception, yeah, was a nice play. Uh, I think he looks like he has some potential when it comes to covering, when it comes to tackling and just playing the run. I'm not so sure. I think he might be a little undersized, kind of like Trey Norwood in that respect. And randomly speaking of Trey Norwood, I did see that – Towards the, the middle pat, the middle part in the latter part of the game, he was randomly playing nickelback a lot for the red team. And I'm guessing that was mostly out of necessity slash need because uh, Justin Broyles was seeing some early work at nickelback for that team. And then I noticed that, that Trey Norwood was moving inside and playing more of like a nickel position, which I thought was kind of bizarre. But um, I don't anticipate him being a nickelback uh, during the season, obviously. No, uh, I, another, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Th- 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 those are my notes on the secondary. Yeah, it was tough to really get a read, but Buki really stood out as we've already gone over. Yeah, it was tough, and t- like the wind and the there, there just wasn't much of a passing game, uh, so it, it was really hard to gleam anything from the secondary. Uh, my last note on the defense, Lee, very, very encouraged with some of the defensive formations that I saw, especially the four-two-five with Buki at nickel. I, I think that that could possibly be their best. Uh, their best formation right there. Um, I and I, I couldn't. Uh, I was gonna go back and look to see who who the four and and this was this is a four two five with actually four down defensive linemen. So that's not, that's something that we did not see at all in two thousand seventeen. So I'm glad you brought that up last because I have some notes on just the basic formations and schemes of the Oklahoma defense. And I noticed both defenses on each side they were either playing their base three four that we've grown accustomed to seeing at Oklahoma or they were in nickel as you just briefly mentioned so it was, it was one of those two things and it was a nice mix of both and I went through and I counted just because I was curious to see what they ran more for the white team they were in their base defense for 13 plays they were in nickel for 14 plays and when they were in nickel about 90 to 95 percent of the time in nickel they had four down linemen we're talking defensive linemen with their hands in the ground 
and nickel. And as far as the red team goes, they were in base defense for 12 plays and nickel for 14 plays. So almost an even split for both teams. I, I will say I did miss probably about five to eight plays because the broadcast didn't cut to the play in time. So I couldn't really quite see the, the lineup and the formation. But for the most part, they split it between nickel and base defense. And like I, I, I agree with you, it's nice to see that there were some formations where they have four down linemen, which in theory is certainly a lot more uh, capable of stopping the run if Oklahoma needs to stop the run, even though they were in those they were in those formations a lot more when they were in third and long type situations as opposed to four down linemen when uh, it was more of like a running situation. So uh, that was encouraging. I, I will agree with you on that. But again, to, to parrot your line, it was just a spring game, but at least we're seeing a, a little bit of a difference in in the defense i would like to see the defense push up a lot more in the three four get closer to the line of scrimmage to to give the offense more of a look and have, have more uncertainty of where a rusher might be coming from but again this is vanilla scheme so maybe that's not quite in the uh in the playbook quite yet hopefully it's coming uh that so that's all my thoughts on defense as well so we've we've covered we've covered the game we've covered defense uh do you have any anybody that that disappointed you on either side of the football because really for me the quarterbacks both kind of disappointed me both didn't really flash that much I, I said earlier that I thought Austin Kendall played better than Murray but overall I didn't think they played that well other than that I don't really have anybody that I, I was hoping would play really well but then didn't or and vice versa or something like that so anybody that kind of disappointed you oh no not really I, I mean I think uh I I it's like I'm disappointed. I, I suppose that you know, like, we didn't get to see you know Ryan Jones make a bunch of huge plays and stuff like that. But I mean, that's they they played one half of football. So to answer your yeah. question, no, not really. Well, uh, the one of the bigger stories of the day, and it looked really big until after the game, and then it it wasn't as big. Uh, Trey Sermon got injured, and uh, to me, it looked like it was serious. Thankfully, Lincoln Riley said after the game that he doesn't think it'll be serious. Uh, I, that's good news. Uh, at that point, I'm not sure how much he knew. I mean, I'm, certain, I'm sure that they probably know more right now, but I haven't heard anything about Sermon, so hopefully it really isn't a big deal. Uh, I saw him getting helped off the field, and uh, yeah, the, the trainer and Kenneth Murray were helping him off the field, and he did not look like he was feeling good about it. He was in pain, so uh, hopefully he really is just fine. Yeah, and I. What do you I, think about Sermon? I, I think I've seen, I've seen stuff since then saying that he's going to be fine. I know Lincoln Riley came out and said that he didn't think he was in, uh, serious. I think some of those other uh, the there's some other websites that have also said that um, they've had sources tell them that X-rays came back negative and whatnot. So I, I think Trey's going to be fine. Well, that's great. Um, let's see. Other than that, we've already talked about the last thing I had in the rundown was Kennedy Brooks, and we've already kind of talked about him as far as potentially contributing next year. Uh, so really, I don't know if you have Lee, I have one more thought. I have one more okay. thought and I think this is the perfect thing to end on. And I'm not, and I'm not sure if you noticed it at all. So here's, I think this is going to be interesting. Did you notice Lee that some guys were wearing black cleats? Uh, no, I didn't. They don't wear that. That's a new thing. They haven't worn black cleats since the early days of the Stoops years. I think like Oh four was the last year they wore black cleats. What does that mean? It's just cool. I don't know. I like it. It looked good. I thought it looked good. Oh, okay. That's all. That's that's my only thought. I thought it looked good. Is that something with 
Is that something with Jordan brand now? No, nah, maybe, but it's it could have been Mike Stoops being like, hey, we wore black cleats back in the day and we used to whoop everyone's ass on defense. Let's do it. That's that's how I that's how I used, that's how I like to think it went down. So just defensive players wore black cleats? No, I, th- I think there are offensive players too, but I just like the black cleats. I think it looks good. And it's 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 something that I associate with OU's like dominant defenses of the early two thousands. That's all. All right. Well, Unfortunately, for those who are waiting for the hot take, we've gone a little longer than we normally do. We've gone, you know, about hour 10, hour 15. We're going to skip the hot take. I'll be honest, it's not the greatest hot take. It was going to be about the Cleveland Browns potentially taking two quarterbacks in the first two picks of the first round. It wasn't really Oklahoma related, anyways. So I think even though we were going to try to debut that today, we're going to put that on hold debut the hot take when one we have a little more time and two hopefully it's a little bit of a better hot take uh so for those who are waiting for that i am deeply sorry from the bottom of my heart uh we will make it up to you in the future uh that is our show we'll be back next week with more oklahoma football talk and a final look ahead to the nfl draft that'll be the big story next week no doubt about it until then for grant i'm lee this is west of everest